Except Jonas Begis. <laughs> Every religion in this planet has moral codes, has rules and regulations, but the thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion on this planet is the resurrection. It's miraculous. He ain't there. You can find every other religious leader buried in the grounds. Jesus Christ ain't there. If he had have been there, as Christianity was rapidly spreading across the known world, the Jewish leaders, simply to stop that movement, would have dug up his body and say, look, here's his body, they're lying. But they couldn't find his body. So then you say, well, the disciples stole the body away. Well, do you think, I mean, very few people would die for the truth, let alone a lie. Do you think the disciples would then have gone on to be martyred? All but one of the disciples were martyred for saying that Jesus has risen from the dead. The only conclusion, absolutely the only rational conclusion is that Jesus Christ actually did rise from the dead. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. There's a distinctive. There's the miraculous edge. Jesus' life was not like any other religious leader's life. He didn't just walk through this earth talking about moral issues. He tackled the real issues in people's hearts, sin, but he also healed sick people. He also raised the dead. Some of the things that Jesus did were just no one else had ever done before. Jesus' life was distinctive. It stood out by the miraculous things that he did. As the early church emerged, you know, after Jesus' resurrection, all over the early church, they were seeing incredible miracles. The thing that set the early church apart from, from the world around it was the miraculous. And I, I want to say to you that, that God is a miracle-working God. This is what sets this apart from any other religion on the face of this planet. Do you expect the unexpected? I'm going to talk to you today from Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. We're continuing through Mark's Gospel. That's where we've been reading from. And we're going to be looking at two of the great miracles that Jesus performed. And this is my title today, Faith, the Atmosphere of Miracles. Every week we see miracles in the church, and that's, we're incredibly grateful to God for that. Just this week, I think it was Andrew and Sarah's cell. Sarah, uh, yes, Sarah, give us a wave at the back. Sarah had burned herself just before cell meeting, and during communion, the pain just instantly left. And that, this, is, this should be normal Christianity, that Jesus is at work amongst us, performing miracles. Peter Batorius, who who's preached here about three times now. You can download his MP3s. He, is, he personally has seen 200 blind eyes open in his crusades in Africa. You see, this sets this apart from any other religion on the face of this earth. It's not just a list of moral codes. We believe in a God who actually cares and intervenes in the lives of human beings, not just in a physical, miraculous way, but in a spiritual, internal, miraculous way as well. Lord, we come at this time to you as we turn to your word now. We ask you to speak to us, we ask you to encourage us. We ask Jesus as we look at your life, we pray that your presence would actually touch us. Lord, we honor you today in our midst. Thank you, you're with us. Okay, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 21. When Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, you remember last week we've been talking about Jesus had gone across in the boat to a place called the Gerasenes and, and there he delivered a man who was possessed by a demon. Remember that? That was last week. He's gone back across the lake to the other side now. And it says, A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus, fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her, and she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed in around him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of being better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and her, she felt in her body that she'd been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You see the crowd pressing around you, answered his disciples, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. 
While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion of people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. He put them out, put all of them out, and he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talaith komam, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old, and he told them to give her something to eat. Isn't that incredible? Wow. Jesus, you're amazing. Incredible. There's two distinctive miracles took place in this passage we've just read. You know, today we're going to focus on one of them. Next week, we're going to focus on the other one. Today, we're going to focus on the miracle that took place with Jairus' daughter who had been raised from the dead. I just find this so this story so full of Jesus' compassion, so full of God's heart for humanity. It's just amazing. What we see in this story here was the people had, there was an atmosphere here. There was an air of expectancy. People here were expecting God to do something. And I believe that in an atmosphere of faith, great things take place. I really believe that. When we talk about faith, a lot of people talk about faith. You know, people, I have a faith or I have a belief system, you know. People, the world defines faith in a certain way. Yeah, I, I have a faith. But when the Bible talks about faith, it's not talking about it in the way the world does. It's not saying, well, you've got faith. It's like you've got a religion. It's talking about an active, dynamic thing that's going on in your life just now. The Bible defines faith for us in Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to read verses 1 and verse 6. It says about faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's not just like a a wishy-washy hopefulness. Well, God, if you're up there, maybe you'd answer my prayer. It's an absolute solid conviction. It is the assurance of things hoped for. Marcin, come come and give us a hand here. You stand here. Can someone get a Bible? I should have one. I've got my notes up here, which has got the Bible in it. Alan, can I borrow you? And your Bible. Yeah, come on. Your Bible. That's it. You can bring your notes as well if you want. And uh, you, you stand up here. No, Martin, do you believe? Listen, the eye. They aren't listening. Okay, Martin stands down there. And Alan, you've got the Bible. Right, okay. Now, Alan, hold the Bible about there, just above Martin, Martin's reach. Now, Martin, he, he's hope. And hope sees the promises. Hope sees the promises. Hope, think, wow, God has got good things for me. God talks about a great plan for my life. I wish I could lay hold of it. And, and, and hope prays, and oh, maybe it'll happen one day. And sometimes it just hits them on the head, and maybe it'll happen one day. And uh, <laughs> maybe the promises will happen for me, but hope can never, ever lay hold of it. But the Bible says that faith isn't hope. It says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? So, Aren't you? It needs to be really strong now. So here comes faith. Sugar. Where's the, where's, the, where's the Word of God when you need it? Where's, where's the Word of God when you need it? There we go. And faith lays hold of the promises. You see, hope thinks, wow, that's amazing. Hope's good. You right, Mark? <laughs> Will I continue speaking here or from the platform? <laughs> Let's hear it for hope. Thank you, Al. You see, hope thinks, wow, the promises of God. Maybe God would do something for me. Maybe God does love me. Maybe God's got a good plan for me. Hope is thinking, you've got my attention, God. This is amazing. And you, people pray and hope, and hope's very good. I'm not decrying hope. Hope is wonderful, Martin. Hope is good. <laughs> However, when the Bible talks about faith, it's not just a hopefulness or wishful thinking. The Bible says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's, it's a laying hold of the promises of God. It's a laying hold of God himself. It's a connection with God. It's not just a hoping to connect with God. It's the conviction of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. 
The Bible goes on in verse 6 to say, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Again, the world defines faith as well. People who have faith believe that God is. But the Bible goes further. It doesn't just say that you believe that God is there. Yet God's out there somewhere. The Bible says that real faith believes that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. In other words, God wants to bless you and he wants to reward you. Real faith not only thinks, wow God, but it's actually this deep expectation that actually you're going to be living in the blessing of God. This is what faith is. You may have seen that illustration. I'm going to use another illustration because it's a very powerful illustration of what faith is. I've I've used this before. Blondin, famous tightrope walker, strung a tightrope between one side of the Niagara Falls to the other, from the Canadian side to the American side. And he, in front of tens of thousands of cheering crowds, walked precariously, one step after the other, right across Niagara Falls. Incredible. The whole audience saw him, they cheered and they were clapping. And he arrived on the other side and he hushed the crowd and said, do you believe I can do this again? And everyone shouted in unison, we believe, we believe, we believe. He hushed the crowd again and he said, do you believe I can do this again, pushing someone in a wheelbarrow? And they all, I mean, they were whipped into a frenzy. They were saying, yeah, we believe, we believe, we believe. And he hushed them again and said, right now, who wants to go in the wheelbarrow? They were all silent. You know, all these believers suddenly became heathen, right? See, there's one thing saying, I believe in God. Yeah, yeah, I believe. But actually, do you step out and trust him? Now, eventually, one guy in the crowd did come out. It was his marketing manager. And he figured that something was going down here. And he, he had to rise up. And he, he got in that wheelbarrow and slowly, blonde, and actually managed to take him back across the other side of Niagara Falls. But out of all the thousands who said, we believe, we believe, because it was a popular thing to do. He was one guy who was willing to step out and trust. See, does your faith in God affect your life? Does it affect your expectation in life? Are you willing to literally trust God for your life? Not just in the abstract sense, yes, I believe you for eternal life, but in a reality. Can you believe him for your love life? Can you believe him for your health life? Can you believe him for your provision? Can you believe him to lead you every day of your life as his word promises he wants to. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Without it, it's impossible to please God. You could be the most morally accurate person in the world, living, ticking all the boxes morally, even though you are a sinner. But the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. The thing that pleases God, just like me as a father, the thing that pleases me is when I see my kids trusting me. It would offend me if they didn't trust me because it would reflect in my character but my kids trust me and God's kids are meant to trust him that pleases him that brings him great pleasure put your faith in God if you've never done that before you maybe have believed he's there but you've never stepped out and entrusted your entire life including your future and your ambitions to him place your life in his hands that's the safest place you can be in this planet what we see in this account in Mark's gospel was a hungry expectation for God to move. As I said, last week we were reading and Jesus was on the other side of the lake. And we read about that in verse 17. It says that the people, on the, this is on the other side of the lake, began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Remember that? They said, oh, get away. The, Jesus just set a guy free who'd been possessed by a demon. They, they, they said, oh, this is too freaky. Come on, you need to leave us, please. This is too, we, we can't handle this miraculous stuff. We can't handle this power. Please depart. And Jesus went back in the boat and went back across the other side of the lake. So in verse 21, it says, in contrast, it says, when Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was there by the lake. Look at the contrast. On one side of the lake, they were saying, man, too freaky, please leave us. On the other side of the lake, they were saying, we want more. They were hungry. They were gathering around him. What side of the lake are you on? What side of the lake are you on? Are you someone who just likes a comfortable Christianity that doesn't have any implications in the here and now? Or do you actually actively and passionately long for God to be working with you in life in partnership with the Almighty and to be living a life of faith and to be seeing God's active and mighty miracles in your life today? Now that's more uncomfortable, but that's the place where miracles happen. What side of the lake are you on? Are you the ones who are saying, can't handle this, Lord, don't want you? Or are you the one who's saying, Lord... Please, 
What's your attitude when you come to church? What side of the lake are you on? Are you coming saying, Lord, today I'm going to worship you and I'm going to meet with you at church. I'm not just going to talk about you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm not just going to listen to everyone else. I'm going to listen to you. I, I don't just expect to meet with other people. I expect to meet with you, God. Do you come with a heightened expectation for God to do great things? Next Sunday, we've got three healing services at the 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and 6.30 services. My expectation is not that we can do miracles, but that God, who is with us just now, is able to heal sick bodies. That's my expectation. Can I give you all the arguments for and against? No. But when I see the life of Jesus, that's what happens. And Jesus ain't changed. And his desire is the same. So therefore, we want to facilitate this next week and just believe that simply God will do what God does. Let's come with expectation. Let's have expectation when you're reading your Bible. Are you just going through the ritual? Oh, I'm a Christian, so I read my Bible. I'm a Christian, so I need to pray every day. Or are you actually actively expecting that day, this day, God, you're going to speak to me as I read my Bible now. God, you want to speak to me as I pray. Are you expecting in the here and now the reality of God to meet with you? What side of the lake are you on? What is incredibly clear, the people on the side of the lake in Mark 5 that we're reading about, they're the ones who saw the great miracles. I was chatting to Anne and Brian through the week. Great couple. They head up the catering team. Anne was telling me this week that, you know, early on in their courtship, Brian had got a serious back problem. So much so that, well, he was going for an operation and they also, the doctors had said that he he will be in a wheelchair eventually. While he's going to have the operation, it will just prove things slightly, but he will eventually be in a wheelchair. That was what they were saying. There was two Christian guys uh, who were good friends of them, I think part of Anne's church in South Africa, and they prayed over Brian. The ironic thing was they were sick at the time as well. They had flu. (laughs) So here they are. (laughs) Do it to me. They, they were praying for Brian to be healed, and he was totally healed. And as you know, Brian, uh, he's a fine specimen of a man. You know, he's not in a wheelchair. God repaired his life. You know, even when they weren't feeling great, they still had expectation that God could do something through them. Isn't that amazing? I can't work that out, but just God's amazing. God works when there's expectation, when there's faith. Here's some keys I see in the life of this guy, Jairus. In, in verses 22 and 23, it says, that one of the synagogue rulers A man named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My daughter is dying. Please come. Put your hands on her and she will be healed and live. The fact is, in that day and age, Jesus was the most controversial person on planet Earth. Absolutely. He split the crowd, big style. People loved him. People detested him. The Jewish religious leaders, because of their own agenda, hated Jesus. They didn't like how he was getting all the gathering of the crowds. They were meant to be the religious authority in their day. They had all the robes. They had all the regalia. They knew all the stuff to say. But Jesus was getting all the crowds. What's going on? He had this man, Jairus, who was a synagogue ruler. He was one of the in crowds in the Jewish religious elite. Yet this synagogue ruler, he knew where his answer lay. He came, he fell on his knees before Jesus and pleaded with him. Sometimes crisis forces an issue, right? I mean, no one thinks crisis is a positive thing. I don't think crisis is a positive thing. Some people say, well, God sends crisis to test you. I'm not convinced. But crisis does come. That's part of the life and the world we're living in. And the good news is that when crisis does come, it usually forces human beings to run to God. Now, that is a positive thing, all right? Crisis itself isn't positive, but there's a positive end result. It's great. So here Jairus, in this horrible situation, ran to Jesus. So you understand how significant this was. In John's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 22, it says, the Jews had already agreed that anyone who should confess Jesus to be the Christ would be put out of the synagogue, right? So the Jews, the religious leaders had already said, you know, anyone who who says that Jesus acknowledges Jesus as the Christ, they would be chucked out of the Jewish synagogue. That's it. Now, this wasn't just an ordinary Jew. This was one of the synagogue rulers humbling himself, stuff my reputation. I know where my answer lies. And he ran to Jesus and fell on his knees. He knew where his answer lay. I want to encourage you, please do not let anything hold you back from coming to Jesus. You might have an image in your life. People might view you in a certain way and you think, well, if I came to Jesus, I would have to change my image. Who cares? 
Who cares? I would rather please him because one day I'm going to have to stand before him. And eternity is an awful long time. For this little moment in time, I don't care if I lose my reputation or my image. I'm going to follow Jesus because I'm going to live eternity with him. And what's the point of living for a moment of reputation when you can have an eternity with him? So get things in perspective. This synagogue ruler, so you know what? This is my, my daughter's at stake. My convictions are at stake. I'm not going to compromise. He came and fell before Jesus and he pled with him, please come and heal my daughter. And Jesus responded. For me, I became a Christian when I was 15. Why did it take me so long? Because I'd grown up in a Christian home. I was dragged to church every Sunday. Why did it take till I was 15? One of the main reasons was, what would my friends think? That was it. Honestly, I mean, it sounds stupid now. It sounds so stupid now. Because actually, it's not cool to go with the crowd. That's not cool. You're cool if you have conviction. You're cool if you walk a strong walk. That's cool. Just going with the flow. That's wishy-washy and weak. Right? So there's nothing cool about that. But I thought, you know, how could I become a Christian? Because what will my friends think? It was all about reputation. Who cares? Stuff that. And I, and I did. And at age 15, I really couldn't care anymore what anyone thought about, about me other than what God thought about me. That, to me, meant the world to me. And I want to encourage you and urge you, be like the synagogue ruler. Who cares what anyone thinks about you? Who cares? What does God think about you? What do you think about him? Are you living the life of conviction that you believe you should be living? Or are you watering it down for the sake of others? I'm not saying we become religious fanatics. Now, Jesus, you ain't going to get any more spiritual than him, but he wasn't a fanatic, all right? He was just normal. He was supernaturally normal. There was something just credible about him. So it's not some onus on you to all of a sudden, oh, I've got to put, I've got to wear sandals, I've got to start playing guitar and have a rainbow strap, I've got to grow a long hair and a goatee. That wouldn't work if you're a lady. I've, I've got to get a fish in the back of my car. I've got to have a Jesus Loves Me sticker on my briefcase. I've got to have John 3.16 as my screensaver. You know, I've got to turn up at the Olympics every four, every four years with my banner saying John 3.16. I've got to turn up in The Simpsons every so often with John 3.16. We have all these things that we think, well, if I give my life to Jesus, is it going to mean that I'm going to be weird and f- freaky? Yeah? Well, please don't. Please don't. But do come to Jesus. Who cares what anyone thinks? It, all that matters is what he thinks. This synagogue ruler, at his risk of his own career, his entire life and reputation was at stake here. Stuff that. He just came to Jesus. So what Jesus, Jesus agreed to go with him to, to heal his daughter. And on the way there, things went from bad to worse. In verses 35 and 36, it says that while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. The synagogue ruler was already at rock bottom. But here things had just got worse. Anyone know what that's like? You're already at an all-time low in life, then just another thing happens, yeah? Anyone know what that's like? Horrendous, absolutely horrendous. It's like you just, you just did not need that. And things were already bad, but the situation grew worse. How do you respond when bad news comes? How do you respond? In, in the book of Psalms 112, verse 7, listen to this. Here's, here's the picture of how we can respond. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. That's how God wants us to be. That our trust in Him means we're just unmoved. Now we're human beings as well. So the reality is we'll get knocked, but the thing is we bounce back. It's like when I was a kid, I had a blow-up punch bag. And I used to box this punch bag. And when I, when I whacked it, it would fly down and it would just bop back up again and knock me, the rascal. So I'd punch it again, and it'd bop back up again. And that's, you know, that, that's a good picture. That, you know, when the bad news comes, you're not even going to fear bad news coming. But when it comes, you bounce back. Why? Because you've got it so together, because you're so in control of your emotions. Uh-uh. I mean, we know us, right? But it's because we trust in God. And our trust in God doesn't change. You see, in the midst of changeable circumstances, God doesn't change. And if your life is based on circumstances that are changeable, your life's going to do this. 
Because it's like one moment you're feeling good about things because things are going well. The next moment you're feeling rubbish about things because things are rubbish. But if your life is built on Jesus and based on the words that he spoke, then all of a sudden you realize that that doesn't change. So in the midst of this changeable world, people come and go, people reject me, people accept me. I feel good, I feel bad, but Jesus doesn't change. I trust him. He is solid. It brings a stability into your life that nothing else will. Put your trust in him. And that's exactly what happened here. Jesus was encouraging this man, don't be afraid, just believe. Keep trusting. Hold on. Keep it together. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In those moments of trial, in those moments of pressure, guard your heart. Don't let anything take away the peace of God that's in your heart. Fight for that peace. Don't let that get stolen away. Hang on. Hang on. You know, our faith is what brings us through. In Psalm 27, verse 13, this is David speaking. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired. I would have given up long time back unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here's David's conviction that God's, it looks rubbish. Things are going bad, but God, I have a conviction that I'm going to see your goodness in the land of the living. You can have this conviction, a life of conviction that keeps you solid in the midst of transient times, challenging times. About a year and a half ago, Angie, my precious wife, she's up doing kids' church just now, she had gallstones. Anyone had gallstones? I'm glad, right? So painful. So painful. She, and she, we've had two kids, and she said she was, she still holds to this, that her memory of gallstone pain far exceeds anything that she went through in labor. I remember nights, sometimes she, it was like, she said, Peter, I feel like I'm dying here. She was crumpled over in agony. And we have to phone NHS 24 and go in and get morphine injections. And this went on for about two months. And it, maybe, it got to the point where every week this was happening to her. And, you know, it was almost like, when's it going to happen next? And she would be asleep at night. And then she'd say, Peter, the pain's coming on. And she would get this agony, intensive agony that lasts about four hours. And then it would relieve again. Oh, boy, horrible. So she was booked in for an operation. Now, we were praying. This is the confusing thing. And you've probably been there. We were praying. We were praying for God to heal. We were praying for God to remove the pain. We were praying for God to bring his relief. But it seemed like, you know, it seemed that things weren't changing. And we were praying and praying and praying. It seemed like nothing would change. David says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You don't quit and you're praying. You don't conclude, well, God's given us this to teach you something. No, no, no. You keep praying. You keep pressing through. We don't have all the answers, but you keep praying. You know, the good news was she was healed. What happened was, I was through a leaders gathering in Glasgow. Me and all the senior leaders got together. We all prayed and we called on God for my precious wife, Angie. From that day on, she's never had any attack of that since. The, the operation, I don't know what happened to her. I don't know if she's, if she's fallen off the end of the waiting list, but they didn't even come back to her. She didn't need it. She has had, and literally it was weekly and several times a week. And it stopped from that day on where she's never had a trace of gallstone pain since then. But God healed her. But it took a moment where we just had to keep standing keep believing, and God came through. My next tip is learn to ignore. And I just love this in Jesus. In verse 36, after all this bad news had come, it says, ignoring what they said. Oh, isn't that great? Jesus just ignored them. It's like, yeah, talk to the hands. It's like, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus actually just ignored what they said. Did you not hear how bad that news was? What are orthodox back? Just doesn't hear it. He ignored it. He's so cheeky, isn't he? He is, honestly, he is the cheekiest. He's just, I don't know theologically how that lines up with anything. <laughs> but I reckon that's cheeky. Ignoring what they said, he said, don't fear, just believe. Isn't that brilliant? The worst news ever this guy had ever had. He said, ignoring what they said. Fantastic. Wow. Either he was burying his head in the sand or he knew something else. Right? Ignoring what they said. He just told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. I found the absolute key to staying encouraged every day of your life for the rest of your life. I will tell you it next week. <laughs> no, I'm kidding you on. 
Genial. I have to give credit to Bill Johnson for this. He, he shared this, and I thought this is just dead simple. And here's what he said. Only put your attention on what God has done or what God is doing and not on what he hasn't done. When you feed yourself on what God hasn't done, you create an atmosphere of offense and you legitimize your own unbelief. But when you feed yourself on what God has done, you become the answer for what he hasn't done. I want to back this up. You remember throughout the Old Testament, God constantly said to his people, remember what I did. Remember how I took you out of slavery. Remember how you went through it at Red Sea. Remember the miracles in Egypt. Teach it to your children. Tell them to remember. God wanted them to have cultivate an atmosphere of faith. An atmosphere of faith. It's not burying your head in the sand. It's just choosing to focus on the right stuff. I know as well as any one of you here, maybe more than most of you here, the realities that sometimes prayers aren't answered, sometimes miracles don't happen. I know that. But the Bible emphasis is, is that they do and that God is good and he wants to bless and heal. For example, you remember Jesus went to the pool of Bethsaida and there at the pool of Bethsaida there was a crippled man. Now, the reality was there may well have been another 50 there who were sick, but Jesus heals the crippled man. Now, here's the deal. If today's theologians were reporting on that, they would have reported on how the 49 others weren't healed and how it might not be God's will always to heal. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible's emphasis is it focuses on the guy who was healed and celebrates that. I want to encourage you that if, if we focus on what he hasn't done, it legitimizes your unbelief and keeps you in a negative place. I know enough bad news in this world, right? I've had enough of it. I, I know the reality of this world. It sucks. I hate, and God hates, seeing people going through stuff. God hates seeing families being torn apart. God hates seeing the way that disease can deeply affect the emotions of a human being and it makes them in a point of absolute despair. God hates that. I hate that. You hate that, right? You think God loves that? Absolutely not. He delights in you. He loves you. But the reality is we're living in a fallen world where bad stuff happens. So I'm not going to celebrate the bad stuff. I'm going to celebrate the good stuff. I'm going to be a bit of an answer, right? I'm not going to bury my head in the sands, but I want to have a faith in God that can help change some of the things around me. I believe in a God who does great things. I believe in a God who does great things. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. You see, fear is the negative expectation of things happening. It's the anticipation of something negative is going to happen. You're on edge. You're fearful. And I believe fear activates Satan just as faith activates God. I believe in a God who wants to move, and he moves in an atmosphere of faith. In another translation, it says, don't be afraid, only Believe. Only believe. No other options. Just believe. Just believe. Don't bury your head in the sand. Don't kid on things aren't happening. But nevertheless, in the midst of it all, you believe. Hold firm. Stay with it. Only believe. You know, I want to take a moment to say this. There's only one way to get to God. He's called Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the way you get to God is by faith. You can't earn your way there. Maybe you're here today and say, well, Peter, you've stirred me. I'm going to be, live a better life as a result of hearing things you've said. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm not going to live the old ways. I'm going to stop some of my old ways. I'm going to start living a good life. Can I say to you, that's, that's a wonderful thing. That's a really positive thing, but that isn't enough. You need faith in God. Faith in God. The Bible says it's by faith we're saved. It's putting your trust totally, not in what your abilities are to get you to heaven, but you're putting your trust totally on Jesus. He died in that cross and he rose again. See, when he died in that cross, he took my sin and my shame. My hope when I stand before him at the end of my life isn't that I lived such a good life because I know I didn't, all right? I've already failed in that one, all right? I'm already too far gone. Even if I did all the good stuff from now till the end, till I die, my bad deeds would far outweigh the good stuff. I know that, right? If that's me, Mr. Holy Preacher, what about you little sinner sitting out there, right? <laughs> The fact is, no one's got an excuse because we're, the Bible says all have sins. We're all stinking sinners, all right? And we do a really good job of covering up, all right? You don't look it, okay? If it's any comfort, you don't. You look so, you've got all your face creams on, you've got your hair gels, and some of you wore deodorant. <laughs> but we do a great job, but the fact is we're sinners. And you know my only hope when I stand before him? Because if I'm going to get judged based on what I've done, I'm going to hell, but thank God Jesus went through hell for me. 
And I have my faith completely on Jesus. My faith is that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on that cross, he went through hell for me. He took my sin. That's my only hope. Honestly, that's it. I only believe. Now, I'm going to live a good life. It's not giving me an excuse to live as I want. But I'm saying to you, the only way you're going to get to heaven is by putting your faith in this Jesus who died for you on the cross. Not by holding to a set of religious rules and regulations. Not by saying, yes, I believe there's a God out there somewhere who happened to have a son called Jesus who happened to die for me. Yeah, I can agree with that. It's more than that. It's stepping out and saying, I trust in you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. I put my life in your hands. I'm going to live for you from now on. That's it. Please do that today. If you haven't already done that, I'm not under any illusions. I know many of you in this room haven't done that yet. Please consider doing that. And the only one you're doing it for is for you. It'd be so beneficial to you. Give your life to him. Trust in him. This passage goes on. In verse 37 it says, He did not allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw the commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he'd put them all out, and I'd love to have seen that, all right? I reckon, honestly. Bring it on, Jesus. He just, he just went raggy at them. He, he, after he put them all out, he, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went into where the child was, and he took her by the hands and said to her, Taliath, komum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was about 12 years old. Jesus only allowed a select few into the room. If I was Jesus, I would have said, right all you scoffers, in you come then, you don't believe me? Watch this. (laughs) Right? Would you not have done the same? That's That's how we would have dealt with that situation, but Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't, because he was cool. He, he sent all the scoffers away. He, he just had the parents and some select few disciples, Peter, James, and John. And there he turned to the little girl, and he said, little girl, I say to you, arise. Her eyes opened. The look of death left her. Her color came back, and the disease that made her dead in the first place was no longer there. And she stood up, and she started walking around. And her parents would have felt two emotions overwhelmed gratitude because of her girl and deep sense of awe that has never happened ever before that's unheard of see the guy might have had faith that jesus come and lay hands on her and she'll get well and she won't get to the point of death but here he was he got more than he bargained for he's seen a resurrection that's incredible the disciples would have been overawed as well you see jesus wasn't trying to prove something here for jesus Proving a point wasn't his agenda. His agenda was, there's a precious little girl here who's died and her dear family need her. That was Jesus' agenda. He wasn't there to prove something. I love that. He's more interested in you than he is about proving a point. I love that. I love that. Why would Jesus want to heal you? So that everyone thinks, wow, I now believe in God. Now Jesus wants to heal you. Well, that's a good thing that happens. But Jesus wants to heal you because he loves you. He thinks you're great. Isn't that great? You see the same principle a wee bit later on. I might just be naive, but I've observed something. You know, when I became a Christian at age 15, I went to a church that didn't expect miracles or talk about miracles. And you know, the strange thing was, they didn't see miracles. All right? Then I've been at a few churches that do expect miracles. And you know what? They see miracles. Why is that? Is it because God likes them more? Don't think so. Or is it because God responds to faith? Well, that's a biblical answer. And does it mean that in churches where miracles happen, no one dies sick or no one gets sick? No. Why would you need to believe in healing if sickness wasn't a reality in your midst? But all I'm saying is God moves with his faith. And we see the same principle when the Apostle Peter, this, one of the guys who had just seen this resurrection, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 39 and 41, 
It says, Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken to the upstairs room. And the widows stood around him crying and showing him all the robes and the other clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out the room. And he got down on his knees and prayed. And turning to the dead woman, he said to her, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. Seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet and called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. See, Peter said, right, okay, widows, thanks for showing me all the stuff she did. You can leave now. And he went in. He got down on his knees. Atmosphere of faith. He prayed. He knew what God had said. He turned to her and said, wake up. Rise and shining. She opened her eyes. Resurrection. Atmosphere of faith. See, I believe resurrection still happened today. I was hoping today to have a slide to put up behind you. We used to produce a magazine uh, through in Destiny Church in Glasgow called the Power for Living magazine. And on one of the issues of the Power for Living magazine on the front cover was a picture of an African lady from South Africa. The amazing thing about this lady was she had been dead for two days. It wasn't a photograph of a corpse, okay? It was her alive. She'd been raised from the dead. And Andy, Destiny Church Glasgow's pastor, had been over to South Africa with Joseph Kobo. Anyone remember Joseph Kobo? He, he's spoken here a few times. Nelson Mandela's nephew used to be the military commander of the ANC. He used to be a terrorist. And he came to Jesus. He's now leading churches and making a big difference there. But anyway, there was a church service that he was conducting. And this lady, he'd been, she'd been carried by her husband and a friend for two days. She'd died during childbirth. She'd been carried for two days through uh, scrubland to the area where this tense meeting was happening. Joseph Cobb was on the stage preaching. The dead lady was put in front of him. He thought this is a distraction and he just prayed a very simple prayer then got on with what he was doing. But no one was watching him. They were watching her because she was standing up. <laughs> and she's now an evangelist. Now you can understand that, all right? You can understand that. <laughs> to be honest, she doesn't need to go to Bible college, all right? She doesn't need to, she doesn't need the white suit and the gray hair. She doesn't need that. She, all she needs to do is tell them, by the way, I was dead and there is a God. And they'll say, okay, I accept that. She rose from the dead, and she is an evangelist now. When she died, she met Jesus, and Jesus said, I'm going to send you back, and you're going to tell your story all over the world, and that's exactly what's happened. Anyway, so we've got a photograph of her in one of her old magazines. She's alive. You can go and meet her sometime, if you want to. You can. I believe that resurrections happen. I believe that many of us are going to see the dead being raised. I believe that. No. Yeah. No. Well, sure, not for you, but the person who says, yeah, then it's for you. Jesus said, John 14, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. There's Jesus throwing down the gauntlet, okay? In a massive way. Whoa, Jesus. That Jesus is actually saying that the same miracles he saw, you and I can see. Not so that we look great. God forbid, it's for him. And I want to see some of God's divine answers coming in people's lives. Absolutely. So God wants to use you. He who believes in me, Jesus said. Anyone believe in Jesus today? You're in this Bible. I found a verse about you. Look at this. You're here, right here. Your name's here. He who believes in me, put your name there. Wow. So change your expectation. Faith is the atmosphere in which miracles take place. I'm going to end with this story. You know, I was in a, a Bible conference down in Wales. It was massive. It was such an inspiring time. There was about 7,000 people there. Uh, there was great times of praise and worship, some terrific speakers. It was like an oasis for me. It was a real time where God really stirred me with the passion for coming here to start the church. In the mornings, I would go up the hills and just walk and talk with God before the main service started in the morning. In one of those mornings, I heard God very, very clearly speak to me. I can picture exactly where it was. I was standing beside a tree. I could, I could take you to the spot. I heard God speak to me and saying that in this morning's service, I'm going to do many, many miracles. There's going to be lots of people healed. Through the conference, it wasn't focusing on healing, although people had been healed through the conference already. People had been prayed for and healed. But I just heard this very distinctly in that morning service, there was going to be healings. So I turned up at that morning service with great expectation in my heart. And as the, the worship time was going on, one of the senior leaders, Bryn Jones, stood up and he said, I heard God this morning speak to me and say 
that God's going to perform many great miracles and healings in the service. I thought, I heard that too. I heard that too. And he said, so if you're sick, we're going to pray. He just prayed a general prayer over the audience. And he asked God to heal the sick bodies that were represented in that audience of 7,000 odd people. And he said, now if you know that God, if you know that God has healed you right now, I want you to stand up and come forward and tell us what God did. And he said, now if, if, you, if you think he, he might have, don't. Go and get yourself to doctors, get yourself checked out, then come back with verification from the doctors. But if you know that your arm was broken, now it's healed, or if you know that one of your legs grew, if you know that lump disappeared, whatever, come forward. Anyway, about 50 people came forward, instantly healed. And uh, one lady, I remember, she had lumps all over her breast. They were, they weren't, it wasn't like subtle, they were obvious. And she said, they've, they've all gone. They've just disappeared in an instant. We've got that testimony in the back of our healing flyer in your seat there, Helen Ormiston, a good friend from through in Glasgow Church. Exactly the same thing happened to her in the back of a bus. A Christian prayed with her, told her about Jesus. She wasn't a believer in Jesus. He told her about Jesus, prayed with her. The lumps in her breast disappeared instantly and she became a Christian. You can understand why. We serve a God that we can have high expectation. In fact, let me just end with this. One verse. Verse 43. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Isn't that cool? Time for Weetabix. <laughs> he told them, give her something to eat. The lassie's hungry. Now everyone else is like, whoa. And Jesus is saying, no, no, come on, she's hungry. Give her something to eat. Give her something to eat. I love that. I love that. Isn't that incredible? He wasn't doing it to prove a point. He was doing it because he cared for the girl. And he not only cared about her, the big miracle, he also cared that she's a bit hungry. Give her something to eat. And I want to tell you that this Jesus Christ, this one he was reading about, he died for you because he loves you, you. He rose again on the third day because he loves you. He is alive today and by his spirit he's in this room now. You maybe can sense him. You've probably already sensed him. And I want to say the same Jesus is interested in every detail of your life. Every detail. He sees all. His heart breaks when your heart breaks. That's why he tells us to be the same. Mourn with those who mourn. Because that's what he does. God feels your pain. He loves you. He knows every detail of your life. He understands the confusions. He understands your heartaches. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he cares about the details of your life. Give her something to eat, Jesus said. Give her something to eat. That's fantastic. Lord Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we adore you. Lord, thank you for entering into human history. Thank you for coming, walking this earth, teaching incredible truths, but healing sick bodies, bringing miracles, bringing answers where it seemed like there was no answer available. Lord, our prayer, our desire is that you would do great things in our midst. God, we want to be a, a church congregation here where you find here an atmosphere of faith. I ask you, Lord, every service, let's see significant, God-glorifying miracles that benefit people and that bring glory to you. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you most of all, not for the healing, but thank you most of all for the way you save us. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge before you we are absolute sinners. We acknowledge that. And God, we don't say that proudly. We say that with disgust. We're filthy sinners. Now, Lord Jesus, we ask you, please, earnestly forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus, thank you that we can expect your forgiveness now because you did die for us on that cross. You did rise again. We love you and thank you that you love us. Thank you, care for every detail of our lives. Thank you, Lord. We're just going to take a moment to respond. If you here today, if you felt God speak to you in some way, then just take a moment, just while the musicians play quietly, just to make your own response to him. Just to pray back your own response. Maybe you're here today, and while everyone else is praying, you know that in your heart of hearts, you're not connected with Jesus. You're not connected. You're not forgiven. You're not sure that when you die, you're going to be with him for eternity. These are the big questions, but you haven't answered them. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Peter, I want to have this forgiveness you're talking about. 
I want to have this relationship with God so that I'm not just believing vaguely in a God being there, but I'm actually connecting with him. I'm trusting him. I'm placing my life actively into his hands. If that's you today, then very simply, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make your commitment just now. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to give you the opportunity to repeat this prayer after me. This is a prayer that says, Jesus, come into my life. If that's you today, just repeat this prayer after me just now. Pray, dear Lord God, I love you. Thank you for dying for me in that cross. Thank you for rising again. Thank you for your forgiveness. Come into my life. Forgive me for all my sins. Cleanse me and give me a new start now, I pray. Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I believe in you. I totally believe in you. So take my life, take my future, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you prayed that prayer, I want to pray for you. Just everyone keep your eyes closed for a moment. If you committed your life to him, if you prayed that prayer, I want to pray for you. I want to ask God's blessing in your life. Can I ask you to do a very simple thing? While everyone else's eyes are closed, can you just raise your hand? Say that, you, Peter, I prayed that prayer. I gave my life to Jesus. Just raise your hand while everyone else's eyes are closed. Thank you. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Thank you. Anyone else, just raise your hand. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these two precious individuals. Today they've put their trust in you. I thank you, you've heard their prayer and you've accepted them. You've touched their life. I pray, let them know your power. Let them know your love right now. Lord, thank you, you've accepted them. Thank you, as they've asked your forgiveness, you've granted them your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, that you grant forgiveness and eternal life. And I pray they will know that from this day forward. Help them now, Lord, to walk with you, to serve you with all their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.